Press us closer to maturity. God, press us closer to obedience. God, that you would do a work in our heart whereby we are changed. God, in this moment, we're praying, asking for change. God, that we look less like us, act less like us, talk less like us, respond less like us. And God, that we would be more like you, your glorious son, Jesus. So God, do a work in this place. God, you've got freedom here this morning. God, this is all about you. As has been said already from the stage, everything that we do in this place this morning is for you and your glory. It's to lift up and make much of you. So Jesus, whatever you see fit to do here in this place, may it be all for you and your glory. And then we pray, amen. So I'm gonna go back and kind of catch us up and bring us up to where we're at. So I'll hit a little bit on what Tyler talked about last week as a kind of story and get us all caught up. And so we have the apostle Paul and he feels compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. So he, he's headed to Jerusalem and on the way there, everyone is telling him, if, if you go to Jerusalem, if you go there, uh, what awaits you is affliction and imprisonment. Uh, the Holy Spirit, like did you guys catch that a few weeks ago? The Holy Spirit pressed upon Paul's heart that if you go, which you're gonna go, I want you to go, and so as you go, what's gonna happen to you? The Holy Spirit does that, and what does Paul do? He's like, I'm, I'm out, I'm checking out. No, he does, and he's obedient to what God's calling him to do. So the Holy Spirit leads him to a place where he's gonna be imprisoned, where he's gonna be afflicted. Uh, All of those type of things are gonna happen to him, and so he continues, and when he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple, the typical place where he normally goes, right? It's to the temple to proclaim the gospel, to tell of Jesus. And so he goes to the temple, and as he's at the temple, what happens to him? He's arrested. The Holy Spirit is confirmed. Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what happens. He's arrested. And so what we see is that there's this group of Jews from Asia, and they cause this mob to get stirred up. They, they start to stir up things, and there's this frenzy, and Paul is seized, and as he's seized, the accusations is that he has defiled the temple and that he has preached against the law of Moses. That's what they're saying that he has done. And so the, the mob starts to work him over. They start beating on him and wailing on him. And it's such a big deal. It's such a, a, a ruckus at the time there in Jerusalem that, that, that Lysias, the, the proconsul, has the gates of the city shut. He shuts the gates of the city. And he sends soldiers, according to the Bible, running down to the temple to see what's going on. What's happening? What's taking place? What's this big ruckus? And when he gets there, they find this mob that has kind of set up this borderline illegal tri tribunal uh, to try the Apostle Paul. And so while they're trying him, while they're doing this, these accusations against him, they're still just beating and wailing on him. And so what happens, the soldiers intervene, intervene. They step in, they grab the apostle Paul and they drag him out. And so Paul, before he goes away for his own safety there, he, he asks, well, hey, can, can I at least address the crowd? Can I at least speak to him and say something to them? I mean, how crazy, like, I'm just one out. Like, like, get me away from these crazy people. But no, he wants to address them and say something to them. He wants to talk to them and share something. And so they let him. And so what he does is he, he turns around and he starts to speak in Hebrew. And so the crowd there is mostly made up of Hebrew people. And so he begins to speak in their, uh, their language. And as he does that, they, they hush and they're really quiet. And what he does is he begins to walk through his own narrative of salvation, his own conversion story. And so he starts off by saying, you yourselves know that I was educated under Gamil. Uh, you know that I, was, that I persecuted the church, that I went after, that I arrested, was even uh, okay with, with men and women belonging to the way to be murdered. But when I was on the road to Damascus, Jesus appeared to me. This bright light shines, knocks me off of my horse. God gets a hold of my heart. And then what God does is he first sends me to the Jews. And because the Jews were hard-hearted and rejected me, I went to the Gentiles. And there's been this great harvest among the Gentiles. This, this great number of men and women coming to know Jesus from the Gentiles. And so as you can imagine, that mob there that was already quite enraged did not like that sermon one bit. 
He's saying, in essence, I've, I've moved away from you because of this exact thing that you're doing now, that you, you'll, you'll have nothing to do with the gospel, nothing to do with this Jesus that I proclaim. And so, so he moves away from them and goes to the Gentiles, and that makes them all the more mad. And what they do is they freak out even more. So where Lysias doesn't even know what to do with this, so what he does is he orders Paul bound and flogged. You guys bound him, we're gonna flog him. And he says, we'll get to the bottom of this. And as they start to bind him and flog him, we'll see uh, what all this uproar is about. We'll figure out what's going on. And so they do that. They bind him and they prepare to flog him. But then Paul, Paul throws out the ace of spades. He's had this hidden in his pocket and he has this and he throws out the ace of spades. And what I mean is this. He says this, will you flog a Roman citizen? Will you do this to a Roman citizen? And he says that the centurion at this time freaks out a little bit is what the scripture tells us. Okay, okay, this causes a big tizzy because you don't do that. You, you're not allowed to do that. And so he, uh, the, he runs back to uh, Lysias and he says, do you know what we've done or maybe what you've done? Do you know what's taking place here, what's happening? We've not only bound and almost flogged a Roman citizen. And so what that does is it causes Lysias to kind of get freaked out. And so uh, he comes and he asks Paul that question, are you a Roman citizen? Are you in fact a Roman citizen? And Paul says that he is. And so Lysias brings up, I, so you purchased your citizenship? I can imagine that's pretty expensive. And Paul tells him, no, no, no. I was born a Roman citizen. And then what the Bible tells us is this, is that fear befell all of them. Because it's a pretty deadly game to, to bound and flog a Roman citizen who's not under capital punishment. You're not allowed to do that in this day. And so they release Paul, but they release him to house arrest. And then they start trying to, to work on the crowd, the mob there, to see what's going on, try to hush them, try to keep them quiet. And then something happens here. There's 40 men that kind of arise from this there in Jerusalem. And they make this oath that they would not eat or drink anything until the apostle Paul's dead. That they will not eat or drink anything. And so I just want to draw our attention to that for a moment because is that not just crazy? Is that not a crazy thought? What religion will cause you to do? These Jewish men who would be a part of the, the law, that would be familiar with the law, that would know the law, that they would get all amped up about this and they would say that we're not going to eat or drink anything. We're, gonna, we're, we're not going to go without until the Apostle Paul is dead, until we kill him. And so here's these men that are about the law. They're going to murder a guy who teaches against the law, which the law says what? Do not murder. And they're going to do that, in fact, very thing as their plan is what's in their heart. And so, I mean, won't religion cause us to do just crazy things? Won't it just cause us to do just immeasurable, unthinkable type things? So in the end here, the word leaks back to Lysias and, and that these Jews are to ask for the tribunal to be held down in Caesarea. And, and as they head down that way, what they're going to do is they're going to rise up and they're going to uh, ambush this small group of soldiers and then they're going to murder the Apostle Paul. They're going to be done away with him, get, get him out of the picture. And so when this is made known, Paul is loaded up on horses and, and has 200 soldiers and he is sent to Felix, the governor. So they get him out of town. They, they send him away. And so now he's left the mayor and he's on his way to the governor. And so when he gets to the governor's house, Felix, he wants to know what's going on. And so what Paul does is he shares the gospel with him. Paul shares the exact same story that he's already shared, that he's told. And so he has this opportunity to tell his story, to tell who Jesus is. And he begins to share the gospel with Felix. And what the Bible tells us is this, is that Felix is so troubled, specifically when Paul begins to talk about the judgment that is to come. He just gets so troubled and stirred up in his, in his heart. And so he sends him away, but he sends him away for two years under house arrest. And so you have Felix and his wife, who the Bible tells us, visits Paul often. He continues to share the gospel with him, Paul does, as they come and they visit. See, the Holy Spirit was working on them. The Holy Spirit was stirring in them to the point of they go and visit. They go and visit this prisoner, and they will just sit and listen to Paul talk and share. And so the Bible tells us what happens next is that Felix is succeeded by Festus. 
And so he's the new governor, and he's not quite sure what to make of Paul, what to do with Paul. So he, he wants to please the Jews, and so what he does is he just leaves Paul locked up for another couple of years, and then he finally gives Paul the option of whether or not to be tried. And, and he tries to convince him, and he says, hey, hey, how about we make your trial down in Jerusalem? And Paul says, but I'm a Roman citizen. I'm a Roman citizen. I've done nothing against the Jews. And all of this is God's plan to get him to Rome. Paul's heart was to get to Rome. God had implanted that within him. And so Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. He says, I want to go to Caesar. I, I want to get to the place where God has called me to go. I want to share the gospel where God has called me and put a burden deep within me. And so he throws down that, you send me to Rome card. You get me out of here and take me to Rome. And so at that point, Festus uh, uh, is bound by Roman law to send Paul not back to Jerusalem, but now back to Rome, send him to Rome, which is, by the way, where Paul felt compelled to go to begin with. His very heartbeat was for there. The Holy Spirit had implanted that in him since Jerusalem. And so Festus's issue is he doesn't know what to write to Caesar. Okay, I'm gonna send him to Caesar, but why am I sending him to Caesar? What to share and tell that he's done. And so he says, I, I know that this has something to do with the religious thing, but I'm not sure what the charge is exactly. And so he's kind of confused and he's not sure what to write. And so his friend, King Agrippa shows up. And Agrippa comes in and Festus and he, they sit down and Agrippa, Agrippa knows about the prophets. He's familiar and he's aware. He knows the Jewish religion. So he's intrigued by Paul. He's intrigued by what Paul has to say, why, the way Paul lives. He's, he's stirred up by this. And so Festus and he, they have this conversation. Let's bring Paul in and let's get to the bottom of this is what they say. So they bring Paul in and they start to interrogate him, start to ask him questions. And so Festus loved this idea because he didn't know what to write to Caesar about Paul. And so they bring him in and, and he starts to talk about Jesus. He starts preaching about what God has done. And so in the middle of all of that, especially the part about the resurrection of Jesus and in him proclaiming light both to the Jews and the Gentiles, Festus gets a little freaked out. He gets a little amped up. And so let's look at Acts 26, verse 24. This is where we'll pick up in the story. Acts 26, 24. This is what the Bible says. And he, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said in verse 25, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not, has not been done in a corner. And so Paul's defense here is that, hey, 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 Agrippa, he saw these things. You're familiar. You know these things. We, we didn't do this in private. I know that he's aware this is not a secret. We're not, being, uh, we're not trying to be uh, deceptive. There's no trickery here. Everything is out in the open. That, that's his defense. That's what he responds back to. Verse 27 says this, King Agrippa, as Paul continues, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? I love it. Like, I just love the realness and the rawness of the scriptures. He's like, are you trying to persuade me and convince me that I need Jesus? Are, are you, t Paul, Paul the prisoner I mean, I mean you, you've got the king there, you've got the governor there, like, like, and, and he's like, Paul, are you, you're try, are you trying to convince me that I need Jesus? And look at Paul's response. I love this. I love this. Verse 29, Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. You know what Paul's answer is? Absolutely. 
you better believe I'm trying to convert you. You better believe that I want you to become a Christian. You better believe that I want you to know Jesus. My hope, by the way, is not just you coming to know Jesus, but everybody who hears me this day, everybody who has a conversation with me this day, everybody who's even close enough to hear my voice as I tell about Jesus, my heart and my hope is that they, everybody comes to know Christ as Savior. So I just want to say that's the same thought here, church. That needs to be the same thought in our life every moment of every day. Our boss, our employees, the the random people that we bump into at the restaurants, everybody, that should be our heart. Are you trying to convince me that I need Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Why would we not? Would it not be most horrific if we know the hope for the world, if we have the very answer to the deepest question of the soul and we not give it? Would that not just be dark? Would that not be awful? I mean, I mean, people should know our motives. People should be well aware of our heart and our actions. So what you're telling me, Scott, is, is that my neighbor needs to know that I want them to come to know Jesus. Yes, if they haven't, then we're not doing it right. Absolutely they should. Everybody should, they should, if they know us at all, they should know that our heart's plan is for them to come know Jesus as their savior. I just would like to believe this morning in a place like this that if we were to take a poll, that you'd agree with that. That, that you would say, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's the hope here, right? I mean, Jesus calls us to go make disciples. Well, part of that is sharing the gospel. Part of that is telling people of Jesus. A disciple of what? A disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And the first step in that is becoming saved, becoming a believer, so, so that should be our heart motive. That should be our desires that, that the lost world come to know Jesus. So my question is this, why don't we share the gospel? Why don't we tell people about Jesus? A statistic that I read, I just, I cannot get it off my mind. I cannot get it off my heart. And I read it a few years ago that said nine out of 10 people will die without ever telling one person about Jesus. Without ever sharing the gospel. Nine out of 10. So in a room like that, like this, what that simply means is this, is there's about five or six of us that'll tell somebody about Jesus before we die. I mean, is that not gut-wrenching? When, when we would say, and what salvation means is he's the apple of our eye, he's the greatest desire of our heart. He is everything that, in all things that we want is him, but we won't tell anybody else about him. We won't share the name of Jesus. We won't tell people of their lostness, their reality, and their need for Jesus. So what I wanna do is I wanna share what I believe, and there's, there's many more, but just a few reasons why I think we don't share. Why we don't tell people about Jesus, and I believe that we're motivated by fear. And fear can be a motivator. Fear can be a very good motivator. But when it comes to sharing the gospel, it usually results in us being quiet. It usually results in us shutting up and locking down. And so my fear is that we often don't share because we may not know what to say or how to answer a certain question that's asked back to us. And what I've learned in my time as a follower of Jesus, as a believer of Jesus, as in sharing the gospel, you don't have to be good about it. You just have to be willing to talk about Jesus. You know, that's a great question that I have no idea. I'll have to go find out. I'll have to try to figure out. I'll have to look a little bit more. I'll have to read some more. I'll have to to ask some other people that are much smarter than me to try to figure out the answer to that. It's a great question in which I don't know. Let me get back to you as a great answer. I think fear motivates us because we might not have the right answer. We might not have the right response. And what if they ask us and trick us in a moment? They can't trick you. If you belong to Jesus, they can't trick you. I mean, your your salvation isn't isn't dependent upon that very tough, difficult question that they're going to ask you that you don't know the answer to, which, by the way, there's a ton of questions. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue to the answer. I don't know. 
And the Bible even teaches us and tells us that that's the response, that we're not gonna know this side of eternity. And so it's fun to kind of play back and forth and kind of placate and kind of ask those questions and kind of go back and forth from time to time in safe groups and places where we do that and some of those questions that we just don't know the answer and we speculate some. But in all reality, we circle back to the fact that we don't have a clue. I don't know how that works and that works together and God gets that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is this. What I can point to is the reality of the truth of what I do know is that there was a man named Jesus and he wasn't just any man. He was a man born of a virgin and he lived a perfect sinless life and then he went to the cross and he died for me. He became, he, he paid the penalty that I could never pay. And, and, and what I've done is he has awakened me to the reality of my need for him. I know I'm not a good person. We know we're not good people. We know that. And the way that we always, always play and kind of uh, fluff that out is with the Ten Commandments. Have you lied? Have you stole? Have you murdered? No, I haven't killed anybody. Well, you've thought hate in your heart towards somebody. So yeah, you've murdered somebody. Have you committed adultery? No, I've never slept with somebody that's not my No, the Bible says, Jesus says, if you even have lust in your heart towards someone, that's considered adultery. We're over four, brother. Do I need to keep going? You know what I'm saying? I mean, we're batting a thousand right now the wrong way. And so we just look at it that way. I just have those kinds of conversations. And so what does he do? He says, I'll go and I will be for these people that cannot be for themselves. And he dies and three days later, after being dead in the grave, he rises again. And he rules and he reigns and he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us is what the Bible tells. Do you know how crazy of a story that is? I mean, think about it for a moment. A virgin birth. Yeah, my wife works in uh, OB ultrasound stuff. <laughs> and she tells me of the, the virgin birth stuff that she comes across. Yeah, sure, right. There's only been one of those. Yeah, uh-huh. You can tell to somebody else. Yeah, kids would never do that, would they? Adults would never do that. Yeah, right. I mean, think about how virgin birth, and then besides a virgin birth, he has a perfect, sinless life, no sin. And we know how hard it is not to, we, we cannot go one day without sinning, can we? I mean, our thought life is just a jumbled mess, is it not? Not to mention what James says over in the book of James about our tongue. Who can bridle the tongue? Who can, who can hold it captive? The things that we say out of this mouth, which really is just a representation of our heart that comes out. I mean, is it not, are we not sinful, wicked people? Even those of us that belong to Jesus, thank God he saves us and rescues us and, and redeems us. We're not made perfect yet. He's working, sanctification, changing us and shaping us. So there should be a longer period of sin, that take, a longer period of not sinning in our life that takes place. But as he works on us and shapes us and molds us, and so we believe that he was born perfect, no sin, ever in his life, then he dies not knocked out, not beat up, not worked over a little bit and thrown in a hole and then he gets up and walks out. No, 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 he was three days dead in the grave only to raise and be brought to life to show up to some, over some 500 people. Like, do you see how crazy that story is? And you know the why that it makes perfect sense to us is because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. The drawing and the wooing of the Holy Spirit in our life, that, that, makes, that makes more sense than anything that I've ever heard. As crazy as it is, that makes more sense than anything that I've ever read or I've ever heard or any explanation that I've ever uh, been, been come across. Well, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart, in my life. So hear me, salvation is not on us. We're just messengers of the glorious hope that we have come across that we know to be true. As crazy as the message is, we tell the message. Even if we don't have all the, so how did Jesus raise? I don't have a clue. 
Oh, no, he was there. Are you sure he was there? I'm sure he was dead because the Bible teaches that. It says that. Roman crucifixion is not one just to knock you out and, and, and beat you up a little bit. I mean, I believe with everything in me that he was dead. And you're telling me that he came back. He came back, brother. It doesn't make any sense in his crazy story, but it makes perfect sense in my heart. That's all we're to do. Whether we have the answers or not, we're here. We look, we research, we go back to the word, we try to find the best answers that we can for whatever question comes up. I believe another reason why we don't share is because of acceptance. It's because of acceptance. Well, how will they respond to me once they find out? Hear me, if they haven't found out that you're a Christian by now, you may not be a Christian. I love you enough to just tell you that. If you've been walking with someone or if you've been working with someone for any extended period of time and they don't know that you're a Christian, there's a problem, people. You hear me? We tracking? They should know. They should know without a doubt. And I'm not saying that we've got to be overbearing. We've got to be crazy about it. We've got to sprinkle holy water on them and flip them upside down and do like a scare. And no. They should know by the way that we talk, the way that we act, the way that we react. They should know by everything that we do. Our integrity, our honesty, all of those things, they should know without a shadow of a doubt that we belong to Jesus. And if they do not know, and that's, on, that's, that's on us. That's on us. Because all I know is whenever a dead man comes to life, whenever a dead woman comes alive in Christ, you can't hide that. You cannot hide that. People are going to know. And whether you're boisterous and outspoken and, and zealous in that regard, they should know in the way that you act, react, talk. All of those things should be driven by the reality that you are a believer of Christ, that you belong to Jesus. All of those things but my thought is, our fear is acceptance. How will they respond to me? What will they think? Will they still like me? Will they still want to be my friend? Will they still want to be around me? Hear me, if that's all it takes for them not to be your friend, they were never your friend to begin with. You tracking? You hear what I'm saying? If that's all it takes? Another fear, I believe, is, is or not another fear, but a, another reason why we don't share, I think, is because we're unaware. We're just unaware. See, I believe the opportunity for us to share the gospel is always around us. It's all around us all the time. But maybe we're just unaware. Sometimes we miss it. It's just a blatant or just an accidental miss. But sometimes it's just we're so consumed with our own life that we don't see all of those that are around us. We're not aware of all those that are around us. The situations that we're in, maybe we're on a phone, maybe it's social media, maybe it's schedule, maybe it's kids, maybe it's our own agenda, all of those things. And so what we see here is that Paul's life is on the line. He sees an opportunity not just to save his own skin. He, I mean, he could have got out of this thing probably. He probably could have rescued himself. And so he, there's this opportunity there, but what he does is he takes the gospel and he shares it and he tells the truth about who Jesus is. And his heart and his hope is that it would take root in the highest leadership structure there in Rome. And so what does he do? He seizes the opportunity. See, see church, all around us, all around you, all around me are opportunities to make much of Jesus Christ. All around us. Sometimes we miss it and sometimes it's just blatant. Like I told a story a while back of me cutting grass and I'm out there cutting grass and my neighbor back behind me is, is doing some yard work and as he's back there and, and, and I'm an eye contact guy, I just can't get away from it. Like I will look you in the eye uh, and when I do that, we usually engage somehow in conversation or a hey or whatever and like I'm a linger looker, you know what I'm saying? Like I don't just like, and keep going, I'm, like not like a weird like hey, like, but like maybe it is weird and hey, I don't know, you, you help me later but like, I, like, I'm a look and linger guy, so like, I look, and we, we make eye contact, and I'm, I'm wanting conversation, and so I, I was cutting grass that day, and I did kind of like a look half linger, and, and he lingered back, I just read this, right, you know, like, he had to be there, and, and so 
And so he, he, I stop what I'm doing. I cut the mower off, and, and we start to talk. And, and I'm like, ah, I kind of did a half-linger thing, but I really need to get back to my cutting grass. I've got something I need to do, done, all this stuff. And so, so we just have a quick conversation. And he, I mean, he starts to ask. He knows I'm a pastor. He starts to ask me about the church. And I kind of give him, like, the quick thing. I'm like, all right, man, you good? Yeah, yeah, okay. And I go on. And I'm, like, halfway through. I'm like, oh. I mean, like, that's like a high fastball. You know what I'm saying? It's been prepared. It's been per- like I've seen the signal. I know what they're given. There it was. And what did I do with it? Oh, strike three, you're out. And I'm just like, oh. So I circle. I'm cutting my backyard twice now. That does not need it in hopes that he was come back out. Please come back out. Nothing. Nothing. And I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, ah, oh, you missed that one, bud. You missed that one. That's okay because there'll be another opportunity. There'll be another time that you get to share and you get to tell. And so let's fast forward to about three weeks ago. So I'm out front doing my thing out there, picking some weeds, cutting some grass, doing my thing, you know, and my neighbor in front of me, which knows I'm a pastor, which says, I stop, we start to engage, we start to talk, and she's like, hey, so, so you're a pastor, and I, like, I st- yes, ma'am, I am, that's right. Good church, oh, good people, yeah. And like, I start to, and we start talking about Jesus a little bit, and so, um, and so that happens, and, but I never invite her, and I walk into my garage, like, uh-uh-uh, crud, crud, crud. So I run back out, like, I'm, like, running. I get out there, and she's like, I'm like, hey, 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 you got a second? <laughs> I said, um, um, so this church thing, she's like, yeah, I said, do you go anywhere? And she's like, I do. I said, oh, okay, okay, good. I said, I, I just didn't want to be overbearing, but I didn't want to not say anything either. And we talked a little bit about church type stuff, but I just want to tell you a little more about ours if you wanted to hear. And, like, uh, and so, so that probably didn't wear out or freak her out anymore. But anyways, so, so I do that whole thing. But I'm like, I'm not going to miss this test twice, you know? Like I don't want to blow it twice. And so I get back out there and I have conversation. But my fear is that we're just not aware. I mean, those kind of conversations can happen anywhere. We can help conversation get to that place. And so sometimes we miss it because we're just not looking for it. Like, it was amazing, and I love how God sets up the stage, like David is right there. We were talking this morning. He's like, I've got to tell you this story. He's like, my, my son and his wife, they, uh, they, they've gotten involved with this church, and this church meets every Saturday, and they have like this picnic thing, and they go to the river, and they'll baptize, and they'll, they'll do this thing, and they're, um, it's down in Packlet somewhere, and as they're down there, they're at the river, and there's this, like, this, this um, old train truss-type bridge, and there it is, and there's this guy, they're just kind of pacing back and forth, and they're doing their thing. And he's like, Scott, they, they noticed this guy. And so he's like, okay, well, let's, and so they walk up there, a few of them. And as they walk up there, they begin to share who they are and what they're doing. They're like, man, we'd love to have you come, come eat with us, come hang out with us if you have nothing else to do. And so he's like, oh, okay. Come to find out in conversation somehow, some way, it was made known that he was there to end his life. Yeah. Yeah, you talking about God working in a moment? Thank God we, that they were aware of what was their surroundings and who was there, right? And so he's like, yeah, I was, I was actually there to end my life. I was going to take it. And I saw you guys down there, and I wanted to be respectful enough not to, not to do something while you were here. And in that, they have conversation. He gets saved and baptized. I mean, are you talking about God working in that? I mean, a, I mean amen, church, right? But just imagine if they're kind of doing their own thing, and that guy, he's just pacing, whatever. I mean, we don't want to interrupt him, right? No, we need to interrupt people, church. We need, we need to be lingering lookers is what we need to be. We need to make eye contact. We need to, we need to address people. We, we need to engage our world. We need to be aware of our surroundings. We need to know who's around us. We need to see the, guy, the random guy on the bridge walking around. We may not know what his motive is, but we can at least engage. Man, would you like to eat? Would you like to have some? I mean, we got food in here, plenty of it. 
And then as he begins to eat, we can engage and we can have conversation and we can share. And thank God they were aware of their surroundings and they did that very thing. The very thing. And so the thing I love about the Apostle Paul is even when everything is going wrong, everything seems to be flipped upside down and nothing is lined up like you would want it to be lined up, he still uses the opportunity to do what? Share Jesus. Still uses that opportunity. So let's continue in the story. So after, after the meeting with Agrippa and Festus, he, he's put on a ship and he tells the soldiers on the ship. So the Apostle Paul stands up and says, the Holy Spirit has told me if we launch this ship out, we're gonna get caught up in some of the nasty weather out there and there might be loss of life. There just might be. And so the captain says, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. We'll be okay. So what do they do? The soldiers, rather than listening to their prisoner, they listen to the captain, which is a smart move, right? There's wisdom in that. So it would seem, and so they set sail for Rome. And so the Bible tells us that they get caught outside of Crete in a horrific storm. In fact, for 14 days, they saw neither sun nor stars is what the Bible tells us. The boat is tossed back and forth. Everyone is just mortified. Uh, They're so busy. Are they trying to just keep the boat from sinking that the Bible tells us that they don't even eat for 14 days. They're literally just trying to keep the boat afloat. And so in the middle of the storm, the apostle Paul stands up and look at what he says, Acts 27, 21. 27, 21, he says, since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and he says this. He says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail for Crete and incurred this injury and loss. I'm on the boat, I'm like, brother, not now. Simmer down, dude. We'll listen to it. We'll, we'll, we'll take your lashing here in a moment. Just chill out. We're trying to live. Just hold on. Nobody's eating either. We're stressed. Just sit down and help us survive. But no, 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 look at what happens. Yet now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, of God of, to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that this will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run, among, uh, we must, but we must run aground on some island. Everything's falling apart. Everything has fallen apart. And Paul, and what have been a good time to say, hey, I told you so, you should have listened to me. That kind of moment, he says, no, no. The God to whom I belong and whom I believe has said to me, and you should believe and have faith because I trust we will be well. I told you it was gonna happen. Now it's happening. And God's told me something else. And you can trust that it's gonna happen. And so I just wanna press you this morning here at this point. Satan will always try to convince you that there's never a good time to share. Uh, Satan will always try to convince you that there's never, I, I mean, I would be worried about my life. I'd be worried about keeping the boat afloat. I'd be worried about everything else that's happening on the ship. God, you want me to tell him now? God, now's not a good time. God, no, now, now's not a good time. God, God here, a little bit later, it's kind of this weird, awkward moment. If I say something now, it make it even weirder. Oh God, I'm in the middle of something here. Now's not a good time either. I mean, there is always, every time, never a good time, isn't there? there that doesn't even make sense. There's never, ever a good time. So it would appear, it's kind of like one of those things as, 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 as a married couple, you're sitting down and you're talking, should we have kids? Should we not have kids? I don't know if we're ready. A few years past, I don't, you're never ready to have kids is what I've learned. You just gotta jump in and do it. You, I mean, you're never financially stable enough. You're never mentally stable enough. You're never any kind of stable enough. All the parents are laughing because you know it's true. We're, we're never enough. There's never seems to be a good time to have kids. We wanna travel a little bit or we wanna do this a little bit or we wanna, there's never a good time. Do you have them? And man, then it's a glorious time, is it not? Is it not just an, an amazing time? I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. The sleepless nights, the throw up, the aggravation, the not listening to, none of that's just little blessings they are. No, they really are, you should have as many as you can. 
which is exactly what our church does because like our nursery is like packed out. So keep doing it, that's awesome. We'll grow this thing one way or another. I always mess up and say that kind of stuff. Get back, get back, get back. That talks for another day, not now. But there never seems to be a good time, a right time. Back to the gospel, back to the gospel, to share the gospel. There never seems to be a good time to have that kind of conversation. Well, it'd be too serious. It should be serious because it's a life or death matter. Absolutely, it's gonna be serious. Just prepare yourself. I mean, the boat's going down, and what does Paul do? He seizes that moment, steps up in that moment. The boat's going down, people. The boat's going down. There never seems to be a good time. I mean, just think of what would have happened this weekend. Now's not a good, he's obviously got, got, he's doing something up there. We should just eat our food and baptize our people and let's get out of here. It's not a good time to go. We don't want to interrupt his Saturday. Oh, heaven forgive us if we ever, thank God they interrupted his Saturday. Hear me, we need to do more interruption. We need to look and linger and we need to interrupt. We need to be people of interruption because hear me, we've got the greatest news to share, do we not? We need to interrupt. We need to stand up. There's never going to appear to be a good time to share the gospel. We just need to do it. We just need to jump out there and do it. And the way that we do it, it can be so beautifully woven into conversation. I mean, we don't have to just give like three points in a poem. We don't have to believe Jesus or not. You're going to hell. That, no, that's not a good way to share the gospel. It's never worked for me that way. Not in a, where it ends well for me. That's why they think we're crazy. But it can be as subtle as this. Hey, I, um, I need, I'm about to pray. Can I, can I pray for you? I don't believe in God. I didn't ask you if you believed in God. I just wanted to see if I could pray. Because it'll reveal their heart real quick where they're at. Just a simple, hey, can I pray for you? I don't, I don't believe that. That's fine. Just, is there anything I can pray for you about? And then it's so funny how they always use like circle around. Yeah, if you could pray for this, and I've got this going on, this thing at work, and I've got some kids. and I don't believe it. Yeah, pray. And then what we do is we follow up. We circle back around and we check in. And then as we begin to do that, as we kind of like sneak attack a little bit like that, like all sly and stealthy, like everybody, we can pray for people, can we not? That's not super offensive. And then as that happens and as we begin to, don't just say you're gonna pray for them and not check back in, but you, we pray and then after we pray, we check back in. So how are you doing? How's things going? Oh, the situation you told me about with your, with, your, with your boss, how's that going? Or how's your kids? You said that they were sick, but how's, how's things now? And as we check in, well, good, awesome. And then as you're reading, maybe a scripture will come through. And maybe you'll be made aware of a scripture or something. You can just shoot them a little text. Hey, uh, check out John 3, 52. And I, just, I just thought of where you're at right now and I thought this, this maybe bring you some encouragement. And then you kind of slip some scripture in on them. And then as that door continues to open, as the guards continue to, to be down, because yeah, again, our motive, we want to share the gospel. Absolutely, King Agrippa, we want you to be converted. We want you to come to know Jesus. Yes, that's our motive. That's our heart. That's why we exist. That's why we're here, to share Jesus. And then see how things just grow from there. Look, look as the story continues. From there, he finally gets to Rome, and he, he's there for a few days, and then uh, he contacts the rulers of the Jewish synagogue, and see, that's always his system, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And in fact, in all of his journeys, what he does is he stops by the synagogue and he proclaims, and when things go badly in the synagogue, which hear me, every time they go badly in the synagogue, then he would roll out and he'd begin to teach somewhere else. And then let's look at Acts 28, 20 as we start to wind down. Acts 28, 20, it says, for this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. Do you see... You see where he's at? I mean, it's the hope of Israel that I'm wearing these chains. It's the hope of the fallen world that I'm wearing these chains. He knew that the Holy Spirit was gonna lead him to a place where he was gonna be bound, beaten, and abused. And he understood and he knew that it was the hope of Israel. Church, it's our hope today. We're here today as a result of that. Because as a result of that, him sharing and God moving and God doing a mighty work in that, in that day, 
Look at what verse 21 says. And he said to them, we have received no letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. And so when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his uh, lodging in a, great, in a greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Did you catch that? He tried to convince them. Like I love, like the, the deck is pretty much stacked against Paul. We don't really know, but all that we have heard about what you're proclaiming is that it's not good. And so they set up a time, they come and they listen to, to his uh, uh, presentation of whatever it is that he belongs to. And so the deck is stacked against him. They're already, they're already skeptical, they're already against, they're already leaning in a certain direction, despite the fact that his experiences had been that these people were not gonna be open. Despite that, his experience says that, that this is gonna end badly, he calls and he begins to once again share the gospel. Look at 24, it says, and, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. It, it was against him. He knew it was gonna end well. So did he just say, okay, let's, let's just have some sweet tea, and cookies and we'll be good. No, no, no. He knows that chances are it wasn't gonna end well and he still presses in. And, and look at the results there. Some were convinced, but some disbelieved. We're called to share, church. That's what I'm trying to make the point. We're called to share. It's God who saves. He uses us to proclaim so we need to have the courage and step up and tell our story about Jesus. We need to be willing to be used. We need to get over our fear. We need to get over whatever it is that keeps us, whatever the situation, whether we're not ready, whether it doesn't look like a good time, whatever the case, we need to step up and tell. We need to take it to the ends of the earth. And maybe the ends of the earth right now is your next door neighbor. Maybe the ends of the earth right now is your boss at school. Maybe the, the ends of the earth right now is your whoever at lunch here in just a few moments. But we need to take the gospel and proclaim and tell of Jesus. So as the band comes up and as I close, I wanna read a few more verses, Acts 28, 30. Look at how this ends for Paul as we, as we wrap up Acts 28. It says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He continued to do what God had called him to do. House arrest didn't matter. His own dime, it didn't matter. What it cost him, he didn't care. He had a message he had to get out. He had a word that he had to share. And so the last picture we get of Paul is a man under house arrest awaiting trial before Caesar who without hindrance and all boldness on his own dime is sharing the gospel with any and all who will hear. And so what history tells us, somewhere between AD 62 and AD 67, the trial actually happens. It actually takes place. And so what we hear and what we learn and what we know is that the Apostle Paul is dragged to the outskirts of Rome and then he's beheaded. That's how it ends for the Apostle Paul. See, his desire to share the gospel and to death to any and all who would hear finally ran its course. Finally ran its course. He knew that day was coming. He knew the hostility. He knew the unacceptance. He knew all of the factors that were indicated within him going and sharing. And what does he do? He shares anyways. He tells anyways, even though it cost him his life. What's it cost us today? I don't think the price is quite as high for us here in America today, is it? As to tell somebody about Jesus. As to share the glorious news of God's mercy and grace. See, God's plan was not just to roam, but to the ends of the earth. You and I sit here today in this sanctuary as a result of what took place there in the book of Acts. As a result of what took place and started in Jerusalem, spread throughout the whole known world and finally ends back up in Rome. 
you and I sit here in this place today with the same commissioning that God put on those disciples' hearts. The same commissioning is on our heart as well. Go take my message of hope to a place that's hopeless. Take the light and evade the darkness. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he has asked us to do. And oh, by the way, all power will be given to you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now go and do it. Go and share. Go and tell. So my question for you this morning as we close, who are you gonna tell this summer? Forget this summer. Who are you gonna tell today? Who are you gonna tell tonight? Who are you gonna tell tomorrow? Who are you, who are you gonna share and tell? I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how experienced or inexperienced you are. Man, the apostle Paul, his heart was to take the message of the gospel to a world that so desperately needed to hear about Jesus. Church, we will take a ton of things to people, but my fear is that we're not taking the gospel like God has called us to take the gospel. So I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you don't belong to him. If you don't belong to him, man, the, the effectual call this morning from the Holy Spirit is to come and believe, be saved, repent of your sin, believe in Jesus. If you're his and you're not sharing, then you repent of that sin of not sharing and whatever the motivator for you not to share is, is, is it doesn't matter what it is, it's not, it's not plausible. It's not acceptable. It's not okay. And so we repent of that sin and we ask God to give us boldness. Church, we're missing We've got the greatest determining factor in us and it's the Holy Spirit. He'll give us power. He'll give us words. He'll give us boldness if we just ask. So we ask for that and then we go and we live out and we do exactly what Jesus has called us to do. Exactly what we've seen done here in the Apostle Paul today, this year. We go, we tell people of Jesus, the results are up to him, but we just share the love of Christ with as many as we can. No matter how perfect of timing it is or how horrific timing it is or anywhere in between. So who are you going to share with? Not this summer, but today. Not this summer, but in the next few days. Not this summer, but now. God, help us this morning to share. God, what I know is simply this, is that we gather to scatter. And so God, we have gathered in this place to be built up, to hear your word, to be encouraged by your Holy Spirit, to be checked, God, to be convicted, God, all of those things is why we gather here, all while lifting up your name and making much of you. And so God, my prayer this morning is this, is that we, when we leave, God, we leave on mission and we realize and we understand that there is a world that desperately needs you. God, statistics say 70% of our state don't know you as Lord and Savior. God, that's on us. God, you've called us to go. And God, we're not going like you've called us to, God. So help us break our heart for this lost world. God, break our heart. God, put a passion like you did in Paul in our heart. God, whereby we say, whether we're bound, whether we're abused, whether we're left out, whether we're mistreated, whether we're made fun of, whether whatever the case, God, we're willing, because the cost is that great, we're willing to pay whatever we need to pay. God, please, please put that passion in my heart. Please put that passion and desire in our heart. God, help us. And then we pray. Amen. You guys stand. If you need to come and pray or um, know more about what it means to follow Jesus as your Savior, I'll be here. But you be obedient to whatever God's calling you to do.